You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh finishes Romans chapter 15 by picking up where we left off and preaching from verse 14 to the end. In this passage, Paul continues to encourage and strengthen the church in Rome, and we pray that you will be encouraged and strengthened also as we listen. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 15? Romans 15 is going to be our text for today. Uh, But as you are turning there, I want to give you an update on one thing and give you an announcement on another thing before we jump in. Um, Last summer, we gave you guys an initiative called the Shelter Initiative, something that our church was going to embark in. Um, Part of it was going to be uh, in in response to Roe versus Wade being overturned, and we still praise God for that. Um, But in that, yes, please give God a hand clap of praise for that. But in that, we know it is now time, not what it has always been, but even more now for the church not just to be for life from our mouth, but to be for life with our life from womb to tomb, that we are going to be engaged in and loving those who who may need help in the moment, that we would be active in running to the hurting. And so just last summer, we presented to you the Shelter Initiative. Uh, And so you just heard from Eric and Brandy Saffel, who are a part of our Shelter Initiative group as as much as all of your your church is as well. And uh, they are currently fostering, and it's a beautiful story, one to which if you were subscribed to our church-wide emails, you are going to receive their story and video testimony tomorrow. If I could encourage you, watch it. It is powerful. Thank you so much for doing that, guys. But I wanted to remind you of of the goals that were lofty and we believe God honoring that we set last year. And these are goals that we wanted to see in a year's time. But we also understood that many of these goals, there are five, they're going to be long lasting for this is not a one year initiative and it's over. This is what we believe out of the mandate of God's word, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, that you take care of the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. We believe that that is the call on the life of every follower of Christ. And so we have five goals that we set before you just this past year. And in that, I want to give you an update on how we are doing and where we are going with each one. The first goal I want to share with you in our shelter initiative update is we had a goal of starting one support group for those who have had abortion as a part of their story. We praise God today that we have had five women who have just completed their first semester in this group. And we are thankful for what God is doing in their lives and the lives of the families that they have today. The second goal that we set is that we would have 10 members trained in trauma response for we know that life is messy. And we know that we want to respond the best we can, but sometimes we feel ill-equipped to do so. So we wanted folks to step up and say, hey, I want to be trained to run to the hurting in some of the hardest situations. We asked God for 10. We received 18 members of our church who are now certified in trauma response, and we are so thankful for that. 
The third goal that we had set and presented before you this, this past summer was this, that 20 members of our church would be in the adoption process. Now, we know that we have many families in our church who have adopted in the past, but as it stands today, and there's going to be more to this in just a second, with the information that we have current, we have four church families that are currently in the process of adopting. There may be more. We need to know that from you. Information at broadmore.org would love to have you email it and let us know where you stand. I'll talk about that in just one second. The fourth goal that we set is to have 100 members certified as foster families in the state of Mississippi. As it stands today with the information that we have, we have 12 families from that time. Now we know we had more before, but from that time we've had 12 families jump into the foster care uh, certification process and complete it. Uh, and so we're very thankful for those 12. And then finally, the fifth goal that we presented that we would have a thousand members that are supporting those impacted by foster care, adoption, unplanned pregnancies, and abortion. As to date, we have over 200 people and two life groups who are committed to supporting those individuals and families. I say that as the spokesperson for the the shelter initiative. Let me speak to you as a dad and as a foster dad right now. Thank you for loving our families well. For when we get into situations like that, just, just to hear me, and all the things that we just mentioned, all of them, every single one of them, nothing, no, nothing of abortion, nothing of adoption, nothing of foster care, none of those things are plan A. All of those things are traumatic plan B. And when we step into the mess of that life, let me tell you, as a family, it is hard But when you realize and you look around and you see a room full of people, you see a community full of people that says, hey, we're here. We may not be there every second of every day, but we're praying for you every second of every day. We may be able to be there all day, but we're going to bring you dinner tonight. Praise God that you bring dinner to our house. Yes and amen. And I love steak medium rare, just in case anybody else was wondering. If you were wondering, not a pitch. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's where we go from here, though. If you want to get involved, let's just say, Josh, this is the first time hearing about the shelter initiative. I'm new within the last year, or I'd forgotten about it since you had brought it up last summer. Let, let me give you an update, okay? You can go to broadmore.org forward slash shelter. That's going to give you all the information, real time, current information that we have. Number two, this is where you're going to get more of, of, of ask. You're, there, there are going to be people who are going to say, here's a need. Can you meet this need if that's something you want to do? If you're on Facebook, you go to groups, search shelter ministry. It's a private group, so you're going to have to request to join and then walk through a few additional steps. And then finally, and this is another one of those that you will be in real time, need information. Uh, if some, a family's in need or a child is in need or a, a group is in need, you're going to go to, you're going to text the word shelter to 32373. And you say, Josh, I'll never remember that. If you're already signed up for the Broadmoor anything, if you get any text messages from Broadmoor, go to that text thread and type in shelter. Uh, and it's going to connect you to this ministry. And when a need arises, you will be one of the first to know. Last thing I want to tell you about the shelter initiative. What I just gave you as far as uh, statistics is information that we have. This is what we know about our information. It is woefully lacking. 
So we need you to update us on where you are in any of these five goals, okay? So you can do that, and we need you to do that. Even if we know that you were in the system, help us know exactly where you are by sending us an email this week at info at broadmoor.org. Info at broadmoor.org. That's the email address. We'd love to hear from, from you about where you are or potentially you're wanting to be a part of this ministry in some way, form, or fashion, okay? So I wanted you to be aware of that. From this moment, I want you to begin praying as a family. Ask God for wisdom. Talk with your family. Say, family, what do we want to do? How are we going to get in? And then commit to get in where you fit in. There is great needs all across our community. I'm not talking about you having to go to Washington State or New York State or Florida to serve. I'm telling you there's ministry right here in Madison County that is life-changing and eternal in weight. And so I would love for you and your family to join us as we continue to run to the hurting. That is the Shelter Initiative update. I'm very thankful for that. Because today is a really big day, and it's not just about a shelter initiative, and it does fit with that, uh, or shelter initiative does fit with this, it's Mother's Day. I am so thankful that today we get to celebrate mothers. It's a wonderful day that we celebrate the women who brought life into the world, that brought us into the world. So if you are a mom here today, we celebrate you. But we also know today's hard. It's a day that reminds so many that their mother is no longer here to celebrate in person or maybe no longer around because that relationship isn't what they hoped it would be or become. We know it's also a sad day. For so many, this is a day that stares at them on a calendar and in their minds year-round, reminding them that for whatever reason, they have never heard the words, Mom directed at them, at least not yet. I know that even in our family that Mother's Day carries such an incredible weight for it is the joyest of days and it's some of the heaviest of days. And let me tell you, both of those are okay because the Lord Jesus holds every day in his hands. And so as we come together today to celebrate moms on this day, I'm thankful to see a room full of moms and families. And and some of y'all ain't been to church in a while, but your mom came into town. You're like, mama, we go to church every week. Come see. I'm happy you're here. Look, no judgment here. Mom, they're here every week. I'm just thankful that you're here in this room. I'm thankful that you're watching right now. I'm thankful that we get to be a family, a united family that joins Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. I want to give you one final verse as we start uh, in this and move into our sermon. Uh, this, This verse has little to do with our sermon today, but much to do with Mother's Day. It comes from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, and then in the end, 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 1 and following. O Lord... You have searched me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. And you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. There's so much more. I want you to go and read that in your own time. But I want you, if you are reading in your Bible, to go down to verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I read that verse for this very reason. Because Mother's Day is complicated. That if we are honest... We have many different thoughts that run through our mind and we struggle with what do we do with them. Humanity, we have a really good bad habit. We're good at this bad habit. And it's when we do things or feel things or experience things on the inside that we know are not healthy or we know aren't right, we have a tendency to not confess them and receive healing, but instead we wall them up and act like nobody else will ever know them and we're never going to address them. Let me tell you that is a cancer to your soul. I'm telling you right now that God knows them. God sees them and he hears them. Every joyous word you have and every tearful thought that is still around, God knows and sees. And what I'm telling you is he loves you and has a plan for every single one of them. So if you are here today and you are in the fight of your life and Mother's Day makes it that much harder, I am telling you we serve a Savior who sees you, who knows you, and who loves you. And so with that being said, could I pray for you? Yes, we give God praise for that. Can we pray together? Father, I do love you and I thank you for your grace that meets every need we have. I thank you for moms across this room. I thank you for the life that they have brought in. I thank you for every human in this room, for they all have moms. Some are next to them right now. Some are near to them in their heart. Some haven't been around for a long, long time. But Lord, whatever condition we find ourselves in, whatever state our, our heart is currently, we ask that we would rest in you. For you know us and see us and love us. You are good, and we give it all to you. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, as we jump into to, to Romans chapter 15, if you were in Psalm 139, go to the New Testament, get to Romans, go almost all the way to the end, to Romans 15, and we are almost finished with this incredible letter we have this week as we journey to the end of this chapter, and then next week we are going to accomplish, or we're going to try, and by God's grace will accomplish, the task of all of chapter 16 in one sitting. Now, all that to be said, if there could be a title for this week and next week, it would be part one and part two of How's Your Mama and Them, okay? And because essentially you have all of Romans that has been deeply and profoundly theological in the beginning. And then in the middle, there is this great application of that theology and doctrine. And then you get to chapter 15 and 16. It was like, hey, remember my cousin Earl? I'm going to need to talk to y'all about him. He's, he's real good. I want y'all to, when you see him, greet him. A lot of times we will get here and we'll say, wow, Romans was great. And we close the book and we go on to the next one. If I could encourage you, there are great and deep gospel things in chapter 15 and chapter 16. 
Don't just because you feel like the application of, of, of the theology is over that Paul is saying, that we can't glean, that we can't receive what God may have for us today. So as we jump in, I'm going to start this sermon with a question that not only hopefully will pique your attention or, or, or your, your mind to start working, but hopefully it will do this. It will get you to engage with, with where the Apostle Paul is. If you knew that you were soon going to leave this side of eternity and go over to the next side of eternity. If you knew your days were numbered, what would you do with the days you had remaining? Now, being a pastor for almost 20 years, I was looking at my ordination certificate this morning, uh, being ordained in, in January of 2005, being licensed to gospel ministry in 2004. So coming up close to 20 years of gospel ministry, I've had my fair share of, of walking alongside men and women who they have learned that they are in their last days. Whether it would be through a diagnosis or, or, or just a struggle and, and, and they, they are in just a very real conversation with you in that moment and you ask them, hey, how does this hit you? What are you going to do? How, how are you going to spend your time? And generally the answer is, is the same and it is, it's essentially this for everybody I've ever walked, the, the hundreds and hundreds of people that I've walked alongside in this journey. I want to spend that time that I have left doing what I love the most. Now, I know that sounds general, but that's absolutely true, and I believe absolutely right. Now, how that's fleshed out is totally different for people. There's some people who would say, I know I have a call on my life from God, therefore, I don't have a lot of time left to accomplish it, so let's get to work. There are others who would say that, that I do love God, but I also love my family. Or there's some people who would say, I don't even know who God is. I just want to live my life while I have the opportunity. But this is where we find the Apostle Paul. It's, it's in this moment, it's in this season. It's almost not that he is just finishing a letter, but he is finishing a life as he is getting close to the end of his days. This letter is written in 57 AD. Paul is going to be, we believe by church history, going to be beheaded in Rome of all places in 65 AD. He's eight years away from his death. But probably, if, if, if we can read these letters rightly, he probably thought it was going to come a lot sooner than that. And so what he is saying as he finishes this up is, I love you with all that I am, but there's work to be done. And so here's what we know today. We don't know how much time we have left. We could, by God's grace, have 80 more years. But we also could, by God's grace, have just the next few minutes. Regardless of the span of time, the call is still the call. God has trusted to us a mission and a task and a purpose. And Paul says, I know my mission, task, and purpose, and I'm going to live it out. So with that being said, let's jump in Romans 15, verse 14 and following, and we're going to go fast today. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace that God, that, that has been given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. 
so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul tells the church at Rome this, essentially. I'm so proud of you. Now, now remember, there's a church in, in a fight. They love God, both, both Jews and Gentiles. They love God, but they're having a hard time bringing it together and loving one another. So he's going to affirm them. He, he's going to say, even with the, the craziness that you have right here, I'm telling you I'm proud of you because you're good people. You know the word and you're able to teach others what has been taught to you. But he also tells them, I've spoken boldly to you by God's grace. Think back at all the theological assertions the apostle Paul has made. But he says, in the same way, I am boldly telling you that I've been sent by Christ to preach to the Gentiles so that they know that by God's grace alone, through faith alone, that they can be part of God's family. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, in Christ Jesus, they, that's the Gentiles, uh, in Christ Jesus then, sorry, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So Paul says, as I look back on my life's work, I'm proud of what I've accomplished in Christ. Well, since his conversion, he has only lived to make Christ known. So verses 18 and following. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I've made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, least I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul, as he's beginning to wrap up this letter and he gives them the I'm proud of you at a boy, at a girl speech, what he is saying is Christ has instilled in me a call and it has become my undying passion. That with all that I am, wherever I am, I'm going to preach Christ and I'm going to make him known. But I want you to know, church, that my call, Paul's call is specifically to the Gentiles. It doesn't mean he's not going to preach to the Jews. It's not, it doesn't mean he's not going to try to, 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 to call the Jews into repentance and to put their hope and trust in Christ. But his call is to the Gentiles to preach the good news of Christ to them. And he says essentially towards the end of his life, and I'm proud of what I've done. There could be a lot of Jews sitting in this church at Rome who could look at the apostle Paul, a Jew, and say, how dare you? You're one of us and you're stirring up all this mess. Why, why would you do that? Paul says, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of every word I've said and every, every message I've preached and every encouragement I've given. I'm telling you, this is the will of God. That those who have never seen him will see. Those who have never heard will now understand. Then we get into verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered in coming to you. We know that Paul's always wanted to come to Rome. Paul loved the Roman church. He says this I, I, back in verse 14. He's reminding them, hey, look, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you, brothers and sisters. I'm proud because you're good people. You're full of knowledge. You can instruct, you can instruct one another. He wanted nothing more than just to come and visit and see that for himself. But something hindered him. Something, something kept him. What was it? What did we just hear? Verse 20 was, was telling us. And thus I made it my ambition to preach the gospel. 
Not to where Christ has already been named. Christ had already been preached in Rome. At least I built on someone else's foundation. So Paul's hindrance was his ambition. Paul's ambition was shaped by God's vision. There's a whole other sermon here that we're not going to preach this morning. But when it looks, what, what sometimes what sacrificial living looks like is, is just simply this. That for the Apostle Paul, his desire, and it was a good desire and a godly desire, was to go to Rome and to fellowship with those believers earlier on. But God said, no, there's still work to do. So he didn't get to go like his flesh wanted to or even his redeemed heart wanted to because he had a mandate on his life to do something else, something specific. So he was faithful to the call on his life. And Gentiles are better off for it. We are better off for it. Paul's hindrance was his ambition. Verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you. (laughs) This is is good. Paul says, I have no, no room for work in these regions. Paul has preached, presumably, everywhere. He has shared the good news of Christ to everywhere in the known world at this time. How awesome is that thought? What would you do if you were given an entire life to take the gospel to the world and you accomplished the task that was set before you and you had a little time left over? What would you do? Take a vacation? Retire? Enjoy some you time? What'd Paul decide to do? Paul made plans to go to the ends of the earth. Let's look at his destination in the next verse, verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul is saying, look, I'm I'm ready to come see you, but I'm not staying. I know it's going to be good. I know God's going to do a work there, but I can't stay there because there's still work to do. Paul's heading to Spain, the ends of the known world. But on his way, he's going to stop and he's going to be encouraged by his brothers and sisters in Rome. But the reason he stops is for two reasons we see in the text. Number one, it's to be helped on his journey. Food, shelter, provisions, but also encouragement. Just simply enjoying the company of other believers. But I want you to note something because this is going to be important for how we view church. The help in the community that Paul was desiring was not the end goal. It was a means to get to the end goal. They were to give him what he needed so that he could live out the call that God gave to him, which was now to go to Spain. If I could just, again, take a sermon that would be just a regular sermon and give it to you in 20 seconds. Many times we see ourselves as coming to church to receive the blessing of provision and community as the end. Meaning, I came to church today. Great job, me. Let's go along and be be good in life. What if I told you this is not the end, but the beginning? That your church attendance, your Bible reading, your prayer life is not the end of the Christian experience. It's just the beginning. That God is going to give you everything you need through the Christian gathering. Everything you need through the daily prayer and the word. So you can go and live on mission for him. But that's another sermon for another day. Verse 25. At the present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. 
So before, before Paul comes to Rome and eventually to Spain, he must finish his current task. Here's the task that he's at today in, in the text. Bring aid to the saints in Jerusalem, aid being money and supplies. The saints in Jerusalem, as we understand it, are the poor Christ following who's in Jerusalem? The Jews. So, verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Now, those two cities are Gentile cities. Making contributions to Jerusalem, which is a Jewish city. What's the tension in Rome? Jews and Gentiles not being able to get along. What Paul is saying is, there are other people who are living a similar life as you and they can get along and I know you can too. Because we have Jewish brothers and sisters in desperate need and we have Gentile brothers and sisters who have means and they're going to make sure those means get to those needs and they're happy to do it. This is huge. Even though the Jewish and Gentile Christians were brothers because of Christ's work on the cross, they still had a hard time enjoying each other's company in Rome. So Paul's plea here is for unity in the big C church. That's why Paul notes their attitude towards giving in the next text. Look at verse 26 or 27. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessing. Now, those two Gentile churches were pleased to give their offering. But then Paul says something that's pretty strange. He says, indeed, they, they owe it to them. What do Gentiles owe the Jews? Well, for if Gentiles had come to share in the spiritual blessings, they, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. You've got to remember that it was because of the Jews' unbelief that allowed the door to be open for the Gentiles to come in for salvation. But it was always God's plan for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom. So, bringing the Jews with them through the person and the work of Christ, God ministers to the Gentiles to stir them up. We, we saw that earlier in Romans. The Gentiles were to remember that everything they had, including their wealth, was from God and to be used for his glory. Church, that is still true today. Not just the tithe that we give, that is important. But I hope we understand that everything we have, all that we are, has been given to us by God for God. God has been given to us everything, every money, every resource, every aspect of our family, the job that we have as a platform for our life. He's given us those things so that we can bless those that are around us and point them to the goodness of God. Verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of, for you, of you. So after Paul delivers the collection, he will leave for Spain and on his way stop by Rome for a visit. Here's the question though. Why is Paul taking up a collection from the Gentile believers and giving it to the poor Jewish believers? Is it really because the Apostle Paul believes that the Gentiles physically owe them some money because they really weren't supposed to be in the kingdom, but God let them in the kingdom, so maybe they need to start paying some, some, some debt that was owed? Is that what's going on? No. It's so much bigger. It's so much more beautiful. 
The reason Paul has taken a collection from the Gentile churches to give to the Jewish poor is for the sake of unity. This collection is so much more than a monetary transaction. It's something that God would use to unify his church. That's why Paul is collecting from the Gentiles to give to the Jews. That's why this collection and delivery are so important for the Apostle Paul. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessing of Christ. So with all the waiting, Paul says it's going to be absolutely worth it when I show up. The Romans and Paul will be equally blessed. But until then, there's, there's work to be done. That's why Paul says, verse 30, and I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So Paul urges the Roman brothers and sisters to strive together, to battle together. So why would Paul use such a strong word? Why not just ask him to offer up a quick prayer, some good, good thoughts? Because everything was riding on this collection and this delivery. Everything. The, uh, the enemy is alive and well, and he wants nothing more than to stop this unifying act. That's why Paul gives a very specific prayer request, finishing his prayer in verse 31 and 32, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So here's Paul's prayer request, that the Lord may deliver me from all of those unbelievers in Judea. Do you remember who Paul was before he was Paul? What was his name? Saul, right? Do you remember what Saul was doing when, when he met the Lord Jesus? Well, he, was, he was on a road and he was going, was he going on vacation? Nah. He, he was going to Damascus, right? What was he going to do? He was going to to find anybody who was a member of the way, any Christian, and at best, arrest them, and at worst, kill them. And God miraculously saves him in that moment. But there's still Saul's looking to kill Paul's. And so that's the struggle that Paul's facing here, because now he is one of the most well-known members of the way. One of the most well-known members of, of the followers of Christ. And now there are many and multiple Saul's who still remain who are trying to take out Paul. And he says, I am begging you to join in with me. And he doesn't say take up arms. He doesn't say meet me on the road and let's get these guys. He says, I want you to pray for me. Church, there's power in prayer. I want you to pray with me. I want you to join in interceding on my behalf and praying that I would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem would be acceptable to the saints. Because hear this out, the Gentiles were happy to give the offering, but were the Jews gonna be happy to receive it? Paul says, I don't know yet, we'll see when we get there. But I'm asking you to pray for God to give unity in the church worldwide. So why do we pray with Paul for these things? So that God would be glorified and Paul would be filled with joy. So that he could come to Rome and enjoy the fellowship of the believers. Why are these last few verses so important? Because these verses show us that without co-laborers and without co-laborers in prayer, 
it will be much more difficult to accomplish the task that God has trusted to us. The reason we need unity in the church is because we need each other. And that's still true today. That's why we want to fight against this individualized Christianity where we get out of our uh, own houses, get into our own cars, drive into the parking lot, get into our own seats that we always sit in, and when it's over, we go back into our cars to go back into our house, and we never get to enjoy the collective we. We never understand the power of ours. We need each other if we're going to accomplish this task. I believe it is your individual mission to proclaim Christ. But I'm telling you, if you are doing it by yourself without the encouragement of the church behind you, you are going to be anemic in that sharing. But when we realize, just even this morning, looking around the room, 2,000 people who are standing next to you saying, brother and sister, I'm with you. There is nothing that can stand in our way. We know that we've been called by God. We know that he's told us that all power and authority has been given to Christ. Christ is with us until the very end. So let's go. What's going to stop us? The gates of hell can't stand against us. But we sure can. Paul says that can't be the case. He used something that would be very near and dear to every Jew and Gentile. Money. He said, I want you to understand it is just a means for an end, and the end is God's glory. So you need to understand how it's to be used. I don't know if it's money for you, but I do know there's something. Something that hinders us from wanting to continue to fight for unity in God's family. And I'm not saying there's disunity here. But what I am saying is what God's word tells us is this. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us have a sin nature inside of us that we are still at war against. And if we're not careful, if we don't, if we don't take every thought captive, if, if, if we don't go to the Lord in, in constant repentance and prayer and say, Lord, I help me, I need your help, I believe, but help my unbelief, help me see my brother and sister not as an enemy, but as a co-laborer in your kingdom work. If I don't do that, then I'm going to start to look around and see people as the enemy and miss out on the call of God on my life. So Paul ends this way. Just chapter 15, and this is the blessing he gives. May the God of peace be with you all. I think this is absolutely beautiful. As our worship team comes back up and we move into response time, I want you to feel the tension. I pray that I've built it well over the course of these weeks, but I want you to feel it anew. They love God Everybody in the church, everybody in the Roman church loved God, but they didn't necessarily care for, for the different groups. And I don't know if you've ever been there. Surely not this group because this group's perfect. But there's probably been days that you've sat in the very seat you're sitting in, fuming, not because God's not good, he's always good, but fuming because of what you think another brother or sister has said about you, believed about you, or done to you. When it didn't really even happen, it's just a narrative playing in your brain. And we come to church and we wonder, am I gonna see them today? 
Well, they normally sit by us, so let's go sit over here, or, or let's go to the chapel, or, or let's go to this different life group, or, or whatever it's going to be. We, we, we have a big church, so we can hide from each other. So Paul says, as he is ending this section right here, this, this prayer, and he prays, peace, brothers and sisters. I know your hearts are stirred. I know you're angry. I know you're feeling the tension and the weight of this life. Peace be to you, brother. Peace be to you, sister. But it's not just any peace. May the God of peace be with you all. He is not speaking a good word or trying to give a good vibe. He is saying, God of heaven is with you. Let that calm your heart. Let that still your mind. Let that take your eyes and allow you to see your brothers and sisters as exactly that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the darkness and the principalities of this world. We need each other. And that's why unity is essential in God's church. So as we move into this response time, I don't know what's keeping you from unity. I don't know what's keeping you from seeing your brothers and sisters as just that. But I want to encourage you to confess that to the Lord Jesus today and to see the call on your life as a passion and ambition. It may hinder you from doing some of the things that you love, but what you're going to find is that passion and ambition, if it's from God, will be far greater than anything you could have ever dreamt up. But we'll never be able to fulfill it unless we're unified. So church... Let's be a united family of faith, joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that so many years ago, the Gentile church and the Jewish church realized they were the church. And they couldn't be a Jewish church and a Gentile church. They had to be Christ's church. They needed one another desperately and deeply. God, you did a mighty work in that day that allowed that church to unite, which would soon in the next eight years that we know from church history be some of the darkest days that Rome has ever known but your church stood tall. The gospel was proclaimed and your glory was manifested even in the midst of hard. So Lord, I pray that for us. It's not hard to see as we look at our times and our days, the days are getting dark. People's view of church is beginning to change. Help us not waver from truth. Help us not silo in ministry. But let this be the hour that we band together, not in our preference or not in our desire, but in the name and the glory of Christ. Lord, help our belief, but also help our unbelief. We love you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be united for your glory and your namesake. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?